0: Welcome to Spies of London, the Westminster Walk, part two. So I left you in front of Thames House. If you walk around the back, go on to Thorny Street, so you are walking along Millbank, left at the roundabout, left again into Thorny Street, then right into Page Street, walk along Page Street where you will see St John's Gardens on your right, and then take a left into Marsham Street and the building directly ahead of you across the road is Marsham Court. Marsham Court was made famous, specifically Flat number no. 6, as being the home of Morris Oldfield, one of the great leaders of MI6. Maurice Oldfield is the basis for Alec Guinness's representation of the character George Smiley from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's not true to say that Oldfield was the model for the character because John le Carre, in some respects, based Smiley on his boss, John Bingham. But when Alec Guinness was researching the character for the TV series, he asked John le Carre if he could meet somebody who was a spy, and John suggested Maurice Oldfield and set up a lunch between the two men. So the heavy, thick glasses of Maurice Oldfield, the grey hair is all Alec Guinness, and this is the character in terms of physical appearance, that became George Smiley in the BBC television series. But Oldfield was a legend because he modernised MI6, he was a statesman and an absolute professional. During Oldfield's tenure as the Director General of MI6, a lot of time was spent worrying about issues during the Troubles on the island of Ireland. And in fact, terrorists planted a bomb outside Marsham Court specifically to assassinate Maurice Oldfield. Morris would often go from his flat downstairs to Shepherd's Restaurant, and I have here a note that suggests it was once called Lockett's. He would often eat there, and one evening, as he was out, Irish terrorists planted a bomb amongst the flower baskets outside the restaurant, outside Morris's flat. Because he was watched around the clock, Metropolitan Police Special Branch realised what was going on and defused the bomb. But this perhaps helps to show why there was so much secrecy around MI6, at least in the 60s and 70s, and perhaps why by the 90s it seemed a bit ridiculous. There were genuine threats to Secretary of States for Northern Ireland, including Airy Neve, who you will meet in my Baker Street World War II war, and also to members of the police and security services at that time. They were a natural target for terrorist activity. So Oldfield lived in the shadows, He lived here in Marsham Court, which although is very handy for today's Thames House MI5, was quite a walk from Broadway buildings. You will see more of Broadway buildings later in this walk. So we walk back along Marsham Street from Marsham Court and Shepherds towards the main road. The main road is Horse Road and you will soon come to a crossroads. Diagonally opposite you is the modern day Home Office. It's a very modern building there's rainbow glass above the front entrance. No need to spend much time here, except that this was the location because it was quiet where I often spoke about the Bulgarian umbrella murder. True to say that the Bulgarian umbrella murder had nothing to do with MI5, but it's a quiet spot for a longer story. So come off the main road down one of the side streets to listen to this one. So back in the 70s, ricin was a deadly poison in the way that perhaps Polonium or Novichok are today. There was no antidote, and a good dose of ricin would ensure death. Back then there was a Bulgarian dissident had become a journalist, which has other parallels to Alexander Litvinenko, who is mentioned in my Mayfair walk. But Georgi Markov, or Yorgi Markov, was known to the secret service, known to be an anti-communist agitator, and fled to London to work as a journalist. He was not safe in London, in the same way that Sergei Skripal and Alexander Litvinenko were not. Although Markov was Bulgarian, it was a communist country with much of the same sinister secret services. One morning as Markov was walking across the bridge, across the Thames, he felt a sharp pain in his thigh, and as he spun round, he saw a man dropping an umbrella and then hurrying off in a taxi. This seems to me to be the only evidence we have that it was the umbrella used to deliver the rice in pellet into Markov's leg. He felt unwell later that day and went to hospital where he later died. The ricin pellet was found during the post-mortem. Now, the interesting thing to me here is that after they researched and investigated this, they found a copycat assassination attempt in Paris a few weeks earlier on another person where the ricin pellet was not firmly lodged or it went wrong, didn't result in the death of the target. But it shows that the communists were using this, the pellet in the leg, the metal pellet containing ricin which would then be slowly released into the bloodstream, ensuring death, safely after the assassin had fled, has all the hallmarks of the polonium and Novichok killings. They are silent killings, poison-based killings, with enough of a delay to make sure that the assassins can flee the country before the alarm is raised. I'm not convinced about the umbrella as the delivery mechanism, and neither is the Berlin Spy Museum, which have a replica of what they think the umbrella might have been like, but they're quite clear that they don't believe it was used. One reason I have is that simply a metre-long walking umbrella, although it might look like a gun from a distance, we're not talking about firing a pellet out of a gun in this case. The umbrella was stabbed into the leg and then the ricin released, perhaps with a button and a spring mechanism. It was not fired like a projectile. If it had been fired like a projectile the assassin would not have needed to walk past Markov, which is what happened on this occasion. My belief is that a device perhaps more like an EpiPen was used, a short device perhaps like a fat felt tip which could be easily thrust against the skin and then a button could be pressed to release a small pellet perhaps through a needle point or a sharp end into the bloodstream. This would be much easier to deliver, easier to make, easier to transport across international borders, and just generally more effective. But, as with all of these stories, we will never know the whole truth. All we know is that Markov did die, he was assassinated, the mo- the poison was rising, and it did happen in London. The next foreign dissident to be killed on British soil was Alexander Litvinenko in 2006. This walk has had a couple of different routes over its lifetime. It's always been hard to connect this Thames House Home Office area on Horse Ferry Road to Broadway buildings and the old MI6 and then on to St. James's Park and the Foreign Office. This is one area where a virtual walk really comes into its own because we are not quite so strictly tied to geography. However, in recent years I've wanted to focus a little bit on Westminster School and sanctuary buildings. So we'll walk back towards the river, along the riverbank to Westminster Cathedral, where you will take a left into the courtyard by Westminster School. Now, the reason for stopping here at Westminster is partly that it's in the shadow of the cathedral, which is a grand site for any tourist, but also it's the school where Kim Philby and his father went. It's a private school and the choir boys here sing in the cathedral during big state events. It's a very privileged position, right in the heart of British society, both geographically and metaphorically. And this helps to explain why it was the Americans who had to discover Philby. He was so much part of the establishment, including his father, he was so well-liked, charismatic and well-known, that nobody, least of all the British Prime Minister, ever suspected him of being capable of spying for the Russians. But for whatever reason, and we will certainly visit Philby again in more detail in a future episode, he did turn to spying, he did believe that communism was the answer to fascism, and he did lead others, one way or another, two early deaths including the Rosenbergs in America. Philby is also mentioned in my Guy Burgess special episode which has already been recorded. So we pass through the courtyard out the other side and take a left outside Westminster School and you will immediately see on your hard left Sanctuary Buildings which was the headquarters of Oswald Mosley's British Union of Fascists in the 30s. Mosley was known also as the husband of Diana Mitford, which brings in the Mitfords who you may remember from my Mayfair walk. Sister Nancy used to work at Haywood Hill, which was George Smiley's favourite bookshop. Not too much to say about the British Union of Fascists because they belong to a time period before the Second World War and perhaps during the Second World War, whereas we are focusing more in this walk on the Cold War but certainly the fight against the fascists, the fight later on against Russia, was the context in which the Cold War was fought. And it's an important part of British and international history in Western Europe. So I would like to come back to them in future, but for now, take a look at the buildings. It's a really nice office. It's no longer used by any political party. And we will walk back towards Broadway, towards St. James's Park tube station, and artillery mansions just to remind you that the route and the points on this guided walk are available on Google Maps and the link is in the show notes. So after a short walk we arrive at Artillery Mansions and you can see through the archway that it's a block of flats, a bit like Dolphin Square, similar time period I think, but much smaller, but it's arranged around a central courtyard and this is where George Blake lived. There was also a connection to Greville Wynne and Penkovsky, but George Blake is the one that draws me here because I've followed his life, his history, particularly through the play Cellmates, which was revived recently at the Hampstead Theatre. Cellmates shows that George Blake was perhaps the unluckiest of the Russian spies, the Russian moles. And some people say that's because he wasn't from the upper middle class, upper class establishment. He was not British either. He was an immigrant to the UK, but had worked with the UK within our interests in Korea and got a taste for military and espionage work. But he was definitely from the wrong side of the tracks. He is the only one of the Russian moles to have served a prison sentence, and he was helped to escape by an Irish prisoner who partly felt sorry for him and also liked danger himself. So George Blake was sprung out of Wormwood Scrubs prison and escaped to Moscow where he lived for the rest of his life, came across Philby and the others, but none of the others went to prison. Interestingly for me, Blake would have served his prison sentence and become a free man afterwards if he could have lasted, but instead, because he fled to Russia, he was really not welcome back in the UK for the rest of his life, and he died in Russia in the same way that Philby did. But I find it strange that somebody who wasn't sentenced to a jail sentence, like Philby and Maclean and Burgess, could never come back. They were exiled, effectively, forever. Whereas a man who did go to jail, if only he could have seen that through, he would have been a free man afterwards. But perhaps the main reason he couldn't see that through is that he was given one of the longest jail sentences in British legal history which I've got written down here as 42 years which was longer than it would be for killing somebody and George Blake absolutely did not kill anybody although they all say that, don't they? So George Blake artillery mansions. Now this area of London used to be where Scotland Yard was, it used to be MI6 it's very close to the Palace of Westminster therefore there are a lot of offices around here for the British government. And interestingly, very, very recently, in the last year or two, it's been announced that GCHQ had an office here, besides St. Ermin's Hotel and near the old MI6 building as well. It's also the previous home of the Home Office, now the Ministry of Justice. So we always spend a lot of time in this area. You're definitely into the second half of the walk now. but we still have a lot of exciting sights to see. We have the old MI6, St. James's Park 2, GCHQ and the Foreign Office. More of that in part three.